I'm here talking to Kendall. I'm here talking to Annie. Today I'm telling you all about the teacup poisoner, Graham Young. Content warning is for us lovingly slandering the British. Come join us on Patreon. We have a general support tier as well as a tier that gets you three bonus episodes a month and always ad-free regular episodes. There's a few episodes already in there waiting for you. You can follow us on Instagram at Tell No One Podcast or send us an email at tellnoonepod at gmail.com. Sources are in the show notes. Everything is alleged, but this is definitely Tell No One. Enjoy! Yeah. September 1947. Molly and Frederick Young have their second child, Graham. Cute name. Molly had pleurisy during her pregnancy, which is inflammation of the lungs due to tuberculosis. So three months after he was born, she ended up dying of TB. Oh, no. Oh, no. So goodbye, Molly. Goodbye, mom. Goodbye, mom. Interestingly, we will say goodbye to two Molly Youngs in this story. We'll figure out how. Okay, so Fred is now working full time with little Graham and his eight-year-old daughter, Winifred. Winnie. He couldn't hack it. I mean, he's a single father. All right. So well, Graham do it a lot, but all right. Graham went to go live with his uncle Jack, and Winnie moved into their grandparents' house. Oh, he couldn't handle either of them. No, he's like, can you take them for a minute? So Graham immediately off the bat, odd child. Oh fuck! <laughs> when he was two, Fred married another Molly, and now he's like a woman's in the home. I can have my kids back. So they come back, and Graham's a little upset. He loved living with his grandparents, so he's a little bit like, fuck you. I mean, like, what do I want? You're not my mom. Anybody wondering what I want? Right. No. So he's still a strange kid, not particularly a good student, except for chemistry. He enjoys making potions with his stepmother's makeup and perfumes, but he would also huff them. Work. And this is like 50. So like this shit is gonna get you fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Like you're allowed to have like formaldehyde in the home. And he's like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So he learns a lot about the active ingredients and over the counter medication, like Mm -hmm. aspirin or whatever. And whenever someone in his family would take one, he'd tell them, like, it would take this many to kill you. Like, if you had 50, you'd probably die. And this is how. And this is why. And they're like, that's creepy. Okay, Graham. Thank you for that information. Yeah, they're like, I'm not going to take 50 Advil, but thanks. By the time he's 12, he's saying Hitler was misunderstood. And (laughs) this is like 1960 in England. So, like, yeah, you definitely are not allowed to feel that way. And, like, at the Blitz and all that stuff, like, they had been really ravaged. And a lot of, like, his teachers, like, had lost their husbands in the war. You know, like, it's way too soon. Well, I mean, today, if you feel that way, you're crapped beyond belief. It's still horrible. But, like, if you think that, while they're, like, currently rebuilding Buckingham Palace. Right, like, while the the Nuremberg trials are going on. Like, what's going on? Okay. Okay. And so he's wearing a swastika patch to school. I never would want a kid to get his shit rocked, but he should get beat up. This is like, get beat up. Yeah. Or like, you want me to beat you up. Is that what you want? You want me to beat you up? He's often in trouble because of this, because he's a Nazi. <laughs> he's a Hitler youth. Okay. Yeah. He's a loner and he's playing with fucking chemicals. Oh, man. He also identifies as a Wiccan and a Satanist and makes classmates participate in weird rituals like animal sacrifice. And he, so he's like killing cats. Cats are disappearing in the neighborhood and also becoming violently ill. Oh, we're dr- we're drugging them. We're fucking. We're with poisoning. Them. Yeah. What are we talking about? Uh, so February 1961, his stepmom Molly Young is becoming violently ill. Oh my God, Graham, wreaking havoc on your town. She has vomiting, diarrhea, and severe stomach pain. Fred, his father, is also feeling under the weather, um, but the symptoms would come and go. 
like they would have bouts and then they would dissipate and come back. His sister Winnie was severely sick twice. And then Graham was. A few boys at school also got very sick. um, And one of them was his only like real friend, Chris. One of the times Chris got really sick was like the day he was supposed to go on a date with a girl that Graham really liked. I mean, copy that. Right. Graham, what are we fucking doing? What the fuck are we doing? He (laughs) can't be tamed. All right. How old are we? Like 12? Yeah, like 13. All right. His nickname was the Mad Professor. You're fucking 12. He's 12. His ki- the other kids <laughs> would call him that because like he's so yeah. like toil and trouble. Yeah, Dexter's lab type yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the hell? And they suspected him. They're like, he's poisoning us, I think. <laughs> oh my God. He's like not joking. Like he's serious. He had drawings of dead bodies in his desk with syringes in their arms labeled poison. <laughs> Yeah, but I would, I, if I were a peer, I would feel like, well, surely not him. He's being too big and loud about it. Right. He's like screaming, I love poison. Yeah. You're not, surely you're not really doing it if you're, right. if you're trying to make me feel like you're doing it that badly. Two on the nose. Mm. So November 1961, Graham makes his sister tea and it was so bitter that she dumped it out after one sip. An hour later on the train, she starts hallucinating. <gasps> She had to be helped out, and someone called an ambulance for her and diagnosed her with Atropa Belladonna, which is my drag name, mm. but it's also known as Deadly Nightshade. Yeah, so she had been poisoned with Deadly Nightshade. Yeah. Fred, their father, thinks of Graham immediately because he is literally doing chemistry experiments in his bedroom, and they had forbade him from doing it because he had started a small fire. <laughs> <laughs> Very Adam's family to, like, have to forbid you from, like, you cannot experiment with death anymore. It's very much Wednesday. Cut it yeah. out. Yeah. Cut it out. But I wonder where, when do we reach the point where we're, like, funny, macabre kid, but we're, we're teetering over into, like, no, you're actually harming people. Pretty soon. Oh, here? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Graham denies everything. And says it was actually Molly's fault because she had been mixing shampoo in teacups and had not rinsed the teacups thoroughly. So that must have poisoned his sister. From shampoo to belladonna in a moment? Yeah. She's like, how the fuck did we get from here to here? He's like, her negligence really is astounding. (laughs) (laughs) But they didn't find fucking shampoo in the cup. They They found fucking poison. Yeah. So Fred searches Graham's room and does not find anything. Do we have a fort? Do we have a little... What What are we doing? We'll get to it. Okay. 1962, Molly is very ill again. I've never had a kid, and I'm sure you get really attached to them. <laughs> I don't know if she's really attached to him. But the dad, clearly not really. Like, he already sent them away one time. Yeah. Send him away, dude. Right. You have a daughter and a wife who... Are he, falling ill. He And you know you are falling he's Ill. doing it. Yeah. So she's losing her hair. So April 21st, Molly has numbness in her hands and feet. And she's just like persevering through the day. But Fred comes home from work and sees Graham staring out the window, watching Molly flop around in the backyard, writhing in pain. Oh my God. <laughs> Flopping around? I'm, I don't know what else to say. It was like a whole thing. Well, like, you can't feel your feet. Like You would flop. She is dead. <laughs> they rush her to the hospital where she later dies. No, really? You know what this podcast is? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. We To go from flopping around to like... Writhing in pain. Now she's dead. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And point being, Graham... Wasn't helping her? No, he was like observing her out there fucking dying and yeah. didn't call anyone, didn't do anything. He was like 
perfect. He was observing her suffering. And enjoying it, I'm sure. Yeah. Her death was actually attributed to a prolapsed cervical disc, which was believed to have resulted from a car accident that she was in the earlier year. I doubt it. And she was cremated. So that is just like, sorry, there's Molly number two, gone. Je sais pas. So they have a buffet at their house after the funeral, and there's a dish of mustard pickles. Oh my God. Like, give it, can people have a day to mourn, Graham? Like, can we have a fucking day? (laughs) The only person who likes mustard pickles was Fred's brother, John. Okay. And later that night, he was violently ill, but he lived. Sure. You know what? I'm sure Graham, like, dumped his poison in whatever um, container he could get to. Yeah. You know? It's like, I hope we all love mustard pickles. (laughs) So Fred admits himself to the hospital, like, a little while after this, after being very ill. And he was diagnosed with being poisoned. (laughs) They don't know where it's, like, what it is, what it's from, but tests confirm that it's something called antimony. And one more dose would have killed him. If he had one more pickle. Yeah. So Fred requests Winnie to not let Graham visit him in the hospital anymore. He's like, I think he did this. Um, Graham's chemistry teacher did not like him at all. So he searched his desk one day. Intimidated. I think he's like, it's creepy how much he's into the bad things. Mm, Okay. Yeah, I'm sure he's in there like, so how did the Nazis create the gas chamber? (laughs) That's not the kind of questions I want you to ask. (laughs) And so he finds the disturbing drawings. Um, There's drawings of like men hanging over vats of chemicals. There are essays he's written about famous poisoners, Hmm. etc. So Mr. Hughes, the chemistry teacher, calls the police because he does know that Molly had died and that his father is now in the hospital. Yeah. And we're in the movie Orphan, apparently. Like, we have turned on the glowing light and we're realizing the paintings are all like have death. And he's like feverishly scribbling. Right. Yeah. So they plan to have the school tell Graham that he needs to have an interview to talk about his future career plans, which is like a normal thing that they do in school. But the career advisor was actually a psychologist and started getting him talking about chemistry and poison. And once he got started, he could not stop talking about poison. He loves it. And the psychologist after this meeting is convinced that he was responsible for poisoning. Well, yeah, like I'm in a meeting with Dr. Death and like people keep (laughs) dropping. So the police come in and question him and he is adamantly denying poisoning anyone. But during the interview, a vial fell out of his pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Tangential. But one time in high school... Um, my dad, <laughs> you know, my, um, I failed whatever I didn't do English. my homework or whatever. And I failed and I was going to kicked off things. Right. And my dad came in to like argue for me to the principal, just telling him like, she's having a really hard time pretty much being like, she's dealing with deep depression. Yeah. You should give her a, a pass or a, a, like an incomplete or something fully. Yeah. And, um, the principal produced a flyer. He goes, Oh yeah. What's this? Slides he, it across the table. It was a flyer for a party at my home that night. It just said party at Annie's. <laughs> <laughs> you have a kid. You have to get embarrassed sometimes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the vial falls out of his pocket. It's filled with antimony. The shit that people are dying from. The shit that his father is currently battling. Uh, yeah. Also, um, his classmates pipe in and say, yeah, he also had a voodoo doll of his stepmother. Okay. Uh, I had a voodoo doll growing up. You did? Yeah, my mom got it for me. Of who? Where did I get it from? Somewhere downtown. Like Like faces? Yeah, I got (laughs) it from like a kind of like A to Z science type store. (laughs) And I would just poke pins in it and think of people. (laughs) Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. So the police find his poison supply in like a neighbor's shed. Okay, yeah. And in a bush. They find enough poison to kill over 300 people. There's digitalis, which can cause hallucinations. 
stomach pains, and heart attacks. Wow. There's thallium, which is a really awful, awful poisoning, arsenic, and antimony. Mm -hmm. So Graham was arrested on May 23rd, 1962, after returning home from school. Vials of thallium and antimony were found on his person. You have a lot of it everywhere. Yeah. Like, you're, you can't be far from it, even. Mm -hmm. You have it on you all the time. He's, like, got to poison his friends at school, dude. <laughs> and, like, I'm sure if you're living like that, any opportunity, you got to be ready. Right. There's, like, an open cup. You're Tea like, time. It's time. So when he's questioned by police, he confesses to poisoning his father, his stepmother, his sister, and his school friend, Chris. The psychiatrist testified that he had a psychopathic disorder rather than a mental illness and had failed to, quote, develop a normal moral sense. He felt that it was, quote, extremely likely that Graham would reoffend and recounted a conversation in which Graham said, quote, I am missing my antimony. I miss the power that it gives me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the doctor recommended that Graham be detained at Broadmoor Hospital, which is an institution for patients with mental disorders who have committed violent offenses. Okay. He said that he started dosing his stepmother's food with antimony, some boys at school, um, and the rest of his family. Yeah, whatever. I've been partying a little. Yeah, I've been I've been experiment. He calls it like experiments. Like he's experimenting. Yeah, but like you're like Dr. Mengel type experimenting. Um, no, <laughs> idol, his idol, his idol. One of them. He is a Nazi. Mm. Uh, so and he says they were like, "Did you get yourself sick to like throw us off the trail?" And he's like, yeah. "No, the times I got sick, I just took the wrong plate." Oh my god, I bet. That I was bet like that, an accident. That would happen occasionally. If yeah. you're like poisoning everyone and like you get the wrong lamb chop at night, yeah. like fuck me. I, I, I played myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said they were experiments out of like born out of his morbid curiosity. Mm hmm. So a prolapsed disc that Molly had that they attributed to the car accident could actually be a symptom of long term antimony poisoning. Mm. Um, he had hated her the most in his family. She got the most poison, but like our other friend, um, was developing a tolerance to the antimony. So Hell the yeah. day before she died, he switched to thallium. Oh my God. He gave her a dose enough to kill five people. Um, and as I said earlier, she was cremated and there was not enough evidence to, um, charge him with her murder. Wow. Do you, you think that he realized, oh, she's built up an immunity? He to absolutely the did. He and said then he, he did. was like, oh, I need a new po type of poison for her. Yeah. Oh, you are frightening. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like, we're at a time in the world where poison was accessible. Oh, absolutely. Like, diff he had like four different kinds of poison on him. Yeah. Where the fuck did he get that? He would just go to the pharmacy. With your fucking ration coupon? Whatever right. the fuck. He would just go. Okay. Um, and before this, no one had ever in the UK had ever used thallium to poison anyone. He is very proud of that. So he ends up pleading guilty to three charges of poisoning his father, sister, and Chris, and was convicted of, quote, malicious administration of a noxious thing to inflict grievous bodily harm, blah, blah, blah. He would be sent to Broadmoor Hospital, and he would not be released for 15 years without the approval of the Home Secretary. I don't know if that will be long enough for me. So when he gets to Broadmoor, he's 14 years old. Yeah, you're going to be out like a young man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm on page two. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so soon after his arrival, John Barrage, a fellow inmate, died of cyanide poisoning. <laughs> I need everybody to wake the fuck up. So he was, Graham was suspected by some of the staff and nurses and inmates. But what can you do? But what can you do? But also... Because he enjoyed explaining in detail how cyanide can be extracted from laurel leaves, 
and that the grounds around Broadmoor were covered with laurel bushes. Oh, fucking K. Yeah. Yeah, that too. Like, he is actually so deep in his, like, affection for right. poison. He'll, like, talk to you about like, it, Don't man. you want to know how I did it? Yeah, he's not being, like, he's not really hiding it that well. No. So hmm. his involvement was never proven, and the death was ruled a suicide. But... Come on. Who is, like, grinding up leaves in the night? To kill themselves? If not Graham. If not... <laughs> He, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. If I were like the family member of that guy, are you kidding? His selling is Graham. <laughs> uh, he had written to Winnie like the week before complaining about John's snoring. <gasps> Later, something called Harpic, which is like a bleach, mm. was discovered in the nurse's coffee pots. <laughs> what? You're putting bleach in? Wow. And like, how do you get in there? How do you get in the conference room? I have no idea, but they... It, it smelled so strongly of bleach that no one had drank it. No one drank it. Yeah, you would think that they were like cleaning them, right? And then they, the nurses, would make jokes to other inmates like, "You better behave, or I'll let Graham make your coffee." <laughs> like oh, it, it's like he's just wild and out. Yeah, and like the fact that they they know for a fact if you let him near anything you're gonna ingest, he'll fuck you up. Yeah, he's just like <laughs> yeah, like he can't even help it. <laughs> Or I mean, he can fucking help it. <laughs> but he won't. So he continues to read toxicology textbooks. How? Why are we letting him? They're in the library. I don't know. I know, but it, I feel like he should have, he should be on restriction. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> he also, From like being alive. <laughs> <laughs> restrictive life. <laughs> Too creepy. He continues his interest in Nazism. At one point he grew like a little Hitler mustache would mimic the speeches of Hitler and was listening to the composer Richard Wagner, who had been one of Hitler's favorites. He applied for release from Broadmoor. Wait, and I- you're telling me he is like a teenage boy in his cell playing like symphony music with a fucking Hitler mustache, yeah. just like pouring like lye into the coffee. No, like a madman. He's like, a madman. They were right. Like the mad professor, mm-hmm. like fully that. <laughs> what yeah, a like wild image. Music blaring while he's yeah. like writing feverishly about poison. Come on. Hannibal Lecter. Exactly. <laughs> so he applies for release in 1965, which is only three years after he's been in there. His father and sister attended the tribunal and stated that if he was released, none of his relatives would be willing to house him. Fred went on to say that his son should never be released and his wow. application was rejected. To come to that conclusion about your own child, like you have to be very sure. He's like, you killed my wife. I'm sure he is like, I can't believe that I brought you. Well, you know, I helped bring you into the world. Right. And you are beyond you're a bastard. <laughs> and you're a fucking bastard. And, and Fred is also dealing with like permanent life-changing medical problems mm. because of being horribly poisoned like fuck you mm-hmm. well when he's like he's my brother man like she's kind of she's mm. down with him yeah. for a while um 1968 sugar soap went missing which is basically lie and it had been added to the community teapot and was discovered thankfully before anyone drank it hey everyone tie his hands behind his back <laughs> i just think it's so funny of like Sneaky, like yeah. the Pink Panther, like me, me, me. The game we're all playing, pretending we don't know, is you, motherfucker. Right, like, <laughs> come on, there's bleach in the coffee again. I'm at your door, dude. Yeah, knock, knock. Give it back, you fucker. We know you have it. Give back the bleach. Hand it. Come on. Uh, uh. <laughs> so the other inmates beat him up for this. Yeah, you're trying to kill me. I'm, I'm mad about that. Like, Fuck you, RT. And you're very fucking creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> just, <laughs> shut up. Like, persistent. Damn. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't tell anyone, like, higher up. 
We really should. One time when I worked at my residential program, one kid um, was making a smoothie and they um, were unsupervised by me. Right. Where were you? Look, with another <laughs> with another kid flying off the handle. Right. And um, yeah, they did put like, I think, cleaning supplies in and it gave it to another kid. The kid. Um, and we <laughs> I can't remember how we realized it, but like we did kind of swoop in and like grab the cup. Before, <laughs> like, like, no. <laughs> But we had to fully like file. We had to file everything we could to document that that had happened. Yeah. And people came down from like DCF, whatever the fuck, and like did a full investigation because like, you cannot fuck That's around with that. Murder. You cannot fuck around with that. No. <laughs> anyway, point being, I cannot believe that did, that information didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's also like Broadmoor. Like no one gives a fuck. Like it's a psychiatric prison sure. essentially I mean, like, who would be who would the higher up be yeah, and they're tell. just like i don't give a fuck i'm a nurse here and i have like six thousand people to take care of yeah fine in june 1970 graham had spent nearly eight years at broadmoor but edgar udwin the prison psychiatrist wrote to the home secretary to recommend his release saying that young is quote no longer obsessed with poison <laughs> violence or mischief he's no longer a danger to others but on his way out, Graham remarked to a nurse, quote, when I get out, I'm going to kill one person for every year that I've been in here. So he's released in February 1971, and he initially stays with his sister Winifred and her husband in Hemel Hempstead. Hmm. Within weeks, he had resumed his interest in poison and was still all in on Hitler. And he suggested a, quote, final solution for the problems in Northern Ireland. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> You're going to kill the Irish? God you willing. Fuck. <laughs> you people have to fucking stop trying to kill the Irish. Never. Leave them alone. His sister <laughs> overlooked the Hitler stuff and was like, that's just Graham. And she also overlooked when he said he was taking a, quote, sentimental journey to the pharmacy where he had purchased the thallium that had killed their stepmother. What? Did he call it? A sentimental journey. <laughs> you are out of your fucking gourd. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm going to go revisit, take a walk down memory lane. Remember when I fucking killed that bitch? Yeah. Okay, have a good day. Be back for dinner. Yeah. Oh, I'll Winnie. make dinner. I'll make the dinner. Don't bring anything back. Puts like a lock and key on the crock pot. <laughs> <laughs> so he tries. Oh my God, imagine like anything that you had to leave out all day, you could not cook that. No. The crockpot is out of the question. <laughs> you can't even have tea. Uh, he attempted to purchase poison from a pharmacy and was unsuccessful as the chemist refused to sell it to him without written authorization. Um, but he returned with required authorization on Bedford College notepaper and ended up being sold 25 grams of antimony. Oh, my God. He later returned to the same chemist to purchase thallium. The exact same shit, dude. I, I was gone for a minute and I'm back. So he attends a storekeeping training course in Slow, and he stays at a hostel in Kippenham. Oh, You're doing great. You're doing fucking like, great. The names are fucked. You're doing good. It's Candyland bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, he befriends a 35-year-old Trevor Sparks, another resident of the hostel, and they occasionally visited the pub together, shared a bottle of wine. But on the night of February 10th, Sparks was violently ill. He had diarrhea, pins and needles in his legs, and testicles. <laughs> Damn. Sorry. Earlier in the evening, he had accepted a glass of water from Graham. Uh, his symptoms returned periodically over the following months, and he fell so ill during a football match that he had to leave. 
Specialists were unable to pinpoint the cause, originally diagnosing it as a kidney infection and then a bowel infection, UTI, stomach infection. He eventually left the town in April 1971 and gradually recovered, but was never able to play football again. You ruined my life. Another patient at the hospital in that town was suffering um, with the similar things and could not be definitively diagnosed with anything. But he remembered having a drink with a man at a pub who was obsessed with chemicals and poison. Now we're doing it to anyone. Yeah. If you're in my local. Yeah. I have a compulsion. Almost. Almost. This man ended up suffering so much and for so long that he actually died by suicide. Oh, my fucking God. Because he was in so much pain. Now, what are we talking for pain here? Like, just like full body burning, like pain, like numbness, tingling, vomiting, horrible stuff. And no one could tell you. You're losing your hair and like. You're like fucking Chernobyl. Like, you're like, I'm fucked. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. So he ends up getting a job at John Hadlin Laboratories in Bovingdon, Hertfordshire, near his sister's home in Hemel Hempstead. All Hobbit talk. (laughs) You know what I mean? The company manufactured thallium bromide iodide infrared lenses. By the way, we've made a big error if we hired him at a laboratory. Which were used in military equipment, but no thallium was stored on the site. And on his application, he had stated that he had studied chemistry and toxicology. But they were like, hey, you have like a 10-year employment gap? Where were you? Mm. And he explained that his lack of employment history was because he had suffered a nervous breakdown following the death of his mother in a car accident. His employers had received references as part of his rehabilitation from Broadmoor, but were not informed of his past as a convicted poisoner. Wow. Yeah. Okay, they knew he'd been in institution, a- mm-hmm. But he but- said it's because of his mother's death yeah i was so sad yeah i had to go for 10 years dude you got locked up you couldn't leave you're a worm the mom you killed (laughs) his new colleagues found him unpredictable um but some days he was cheery during breaks he sat alone reading probably something about war chemistry or nazi germany or famous murderers Mm -hmm. he was not talkative unless people were talking about one of those things yeah, you know what? I keep my head down. I'm on my own. He He's a guy who likes what he likes. Mm. Mm-hmm. His duties at Hadlin included collecting drinks from the tea trolley. Hello? I mean. Are people dropping dead? Each employee had their own mug. Good. No, because he knew exactly who was drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Victims would fall ill with symptoms that included vomiting, stomach pain, nausea, and diarrhea. Initially, the mysterious illness was assumed to be a virus and was nicknamed the Bovingdon Bug. Uh, He's called Graham. (laughs) His name's Graham. And he's right over there. (laughs) 59-year-old Bob Eggle was a storeroom manager at Hadland and was Graham's immediate superior. Eggle was a Dunkirk veteran. If I went through all that shit to come home and get poisoned by the little fucking worm below me. Yeah. That's funny because Graham says like almost the exact same thing, but we'll get to it. (laughs) So Graham is obviously obsessed with World War II. So he loves talking to this guy about this. Yeah, I bet. But eventually Bob has several days off of work with severe diarrhea and stomach pains. His health improves after being away for a week, but on his return, his condition deteriorated rapidly. He complained of intense back pain and numbness in his fingers and feet and was transferred to the ICU at St. Albans City Hospital where paralysis set in. Graham shows a strong concern for Bob, repeatedly contacting the hospital for updates. But Bob eventually died on July 7th, 1971, 
An autopsy attributed his death to a rare form of polyneuritis known as Goulain-Barré syndrome. He was sick. Um, Graham was chosen to accompany the managing director to his funeral as a representative from the company. And this guy recalled Graham remarking, quote, how sad it is that Bob should come through the terrors of Dunkirk only to fall victim to a strange virus. I know. What kind of fucked up thing is that to say <laughs> if, if you're the killer? I don't know. He's like, isn't that crazy? And like, um, my furor didn't get you. <laughs> but I did. Are you happy now, Papa? <laughs> I did it. I got him. (laughs) So while Bob was sick and like out of work, Ron Hewitt, Bob's assistant, starts getting really fucking sick. But he had already accepted a job at a different company and Graham was actually like his replacement. So after leaving the company, he completely recovered. And as a result of this guy leaving and Bob's death, Graham was promoted to head storeman. That's how you climb the corporate ladder. Noted. For the next few months, his co-worker, Diana Smart, is getting ill. Leave women alone. His poisonings for her were small doses of antimony in her tea, usually when she annoyed him. <laughs> he wrote in his diary, quote, Die irritated me yesterday, so I packed her off home with an attack of sickness. I only gave her something to shake her up. I now regret that I didn't give her a larger dose capable of laying her up for a few days. She complained of having numb and smelly feet. Oh, fuck. <laughs> wild that like we're using it to puppeteer people like i want you to go home today yeah so i'm gonna give you what i think you need to do that right you know what i mean like we're not flat out killing people all the time we're kind of using it to like control it's so great do i want her out for the whole week or just today very that yeah yeah yeah. so um he starts poisoning another employee jethro bat bat had become friendly with graham and would give him a ride home to Candyland Mountain. <laughs> yeah, to like Sugarcane Lane. <laughs> <laughs> Upon Bradford. Yeah. Whatever. It's so silly. Yeah. Like, it's why? Like, be a real place. Wait, us or them? No, them. Like, get a real name, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like, just because it's always been like that? Yeah, but everything can't be like whatever. Gumdrop upon Avon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Helen. I mean, you love us. So he administers four grams of thallium to bat in two doses, which is enough to kill him. But Jethro had found the coffee too strong and didn't drink it at all. That too. Like he'll often put a wild amount into the coffee or the tea. And people are like, why would I drink that? Like have some composure. Like, yeah, have a little dignity and like (laughs) put in a little bit at a time. Like, I'm not going to drink a cup of bleach. Like, (laughs) blah, 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 drink. Okay. So nevertheless, Jethro was admitted to the hospital with stomach and chest pains and his hair fell out. The thallium made him suicidal again. It's so painful and slow. Um, He ultimately recovered, but um, him and, okay, so basically he's, he's poisoning a bunch of people. This guy named Tilson and Jethro, who I'm talking about. Mm. So Jethro is getting so... He's in so much pain, he's suicidal, but he ultimately recovers. And Tilson and Jethro are both left completely impotent because of their poisoning. (gasps) Fuck you. Like, can't... Get it up. Damn. Right. Graham apparently felt some remorse for poisoning Jethro, writing in his diary, quote, I feel rather ashamed in my action in harming Jethro Bart. Why him? Because I think he was a friend of his. Like, they hung out a lot. Yeah, why'd you do it to your friend when you were a kid, too, for dating that girl? Well, he's just like, I want to see what happens. Yeah. More than anything, I want to see what will become of you. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Fred Biggs is a 50... Fred Biggs was a... No! (laughs) 
was a 56-year-old local counselor and part-time employee at Hadlands. Graham is poisoning him with antimony, giving oh him the God. typical Bovingdon bug symptoms. Then on October 30th, 1971, Graham puts three doses of thallium into his tea. By the following day, Biggs had developed chest pains and was having trouble walking. His central nervous system deteriorated to the point that he could not speak and was having trouble breathing, and his skin began to peel off. He could not tolerate the feeling of a sheet on his body. Oh. This is what makes people kill themselves. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's like every morning I break my ankles and every night I lay gently and wait till the heart attacks put me to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Let me respond to my shopper. The man. So I have to like really help him. I have to hold your hand through this. Doxing your Instacart. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So once again, Graham is showing concern for Fred Biggs's condition, calling his wife all the time and the hospital directly to make inquiries. Loving it. Yeah. And Fred eventually died on November 19th, 1971. Damn. A torturous death, by the way. Like, it's slow and horrible. We're doing it all very quickly. Like, how long have we been out of... A year. A year. Oh, my God. Like, he cannot be tamed. No. So the management at the company were so concerned because now they've had two people die. Yeah. And a few uh, many people are getting sick. So they start an investigation. Some of his co-workers begin to have suspicions that he is like a carrier of a, some disease. Like typhoid Mary. Yeah, because they don't know about his past as a poisoner. Yeah. And they don't really know that they're being poisoned, do they? They're no. like, they're falling ill. Right. But f- a man named Philip Dodgett informed management of his unhealthy interest in poisons. So a guy, the doctor named Ian Anderson, told the staff that he had ruled out heavy metal poisoning as a possible cause, which led to an argument with Graham, who insisted that the symptoms displayed pointed to the diagnosis of thallium poisoning. Wow. He's like, no, it is. And the symptoms are like this and they're Mm -hmm. similar and they cause this. I'm so obsessed. I cannot let a conversation pass. Exactly. Where I let you... Do you know what I mean? Or like, I think I'm so obsessed with this. You like said a wrong thing. Yeah. And it's like my thing. So I, I cannot have to hold correct back you. from yeah. correcting you. Yeah. Oh, what a fucking know-it-all. Shut the fuck up. So the doctor is so intrigued by this um, that he sought him out after the meeting and asked him more questions. He quickly discovered that he had a deep knowledge of poison and toxicology, which prompted John Hadlin, the firm's owner, to call the police. The investigation noticed that the onset of the Bovington bug coincided with his arrival at the company, and a police background check revealed that he had poisoned his stepmother to death. And, like, his entire family. Yes. Lock him up. Bye. So he was arrested at the home of his aunt and uncle in Sherness, Kent. Nothing incriminating was found on his body, and he denied any wrongdoing. Check the bushes. But as he was being led away, his aunt overheard him ask the officers, which one is it you're doing me for? (laughs) (laughs) And who did I kill? When police searched his bedside, they discovered a large stash of bottles containing poison, including 434 milligrams of thallium, 32 grams of antimony, the latter, which is 200 times a lethal dose. Other poisons in his possession included atropine and digitalis, again. His lodgings were covered in swastikas and pictures of Hitler and other Nazis. Police also discovered a detailed diary, which I was referring to earlier, that he had kept, noting the doses that he had administered, their effects, and whether he was going to allow each person to live or die. We're acting like like he's bird watching exactly. or some shit. It's Joseph Mengele things. Yeah, like, yeah. like the issue with my crime, I'm taking detailed journals of it every and day. That's like the point. Almost. Yeah, yeah. 
Like as if I were a mad scientist, a mad Nazi doctor. Yeah. Oh my God. Born in the wrong generation. <laughs> <laughs> so upon further questioning, he admits that the initials in the diary referred to as coworkers. F is for Fred Biggs, D is for David Tilson, and so on. Here are some um, parts. Fred is now seriously ill. He has developed paralysis and blindness. Even if the blindness is reversed, organic brain disease would render him a husk. From my point of view, his death would be a relief. It would remove one more casualty from an already crowded field of battle. In my expert opinion... He's suffering so badly from the poison I gave him, I should just poison him more. About an unidentified delivery driver, he said, quote, In a way, it seems a shame to condemn such a likable man to such a horrible end, but I have made my decision. His entries also revealed a plan to murder David Tilson in his hospital bed after Graham's initial doses had failed to finish him off. He intended to visit Tilson and offer him a swig from a flask of brandy, which he knew Tilson would probably accept, but also would not tell the nurses about because you can't have alcohol in the hospital. That he eventually, he just didn't have time to do that. So Tilson lived. He ends up confessing to poisoning Bob Eggle, the guy from Dunkirk. Jethro Batt, who lived, David Tilson, who lived, Trevor Sparks, who lived, and said that he deliberately used different poisons in order to confuse the doctors. Yeah. He also boasted of having committed the, quote, perfect murder by killing his stepmother, Molly. He spent 20 minutes explaining to the officers the effects that thallium has on the human body. When he was asked why he had poisoned people who were his friends, he responded, quote, I suppose I had ceased to see them as people. At least a part of me had. They were simply guinea pigs. He was charged with two counts of murder, two counts of attempted murder, four counts of administering poison with intent to injure. He pleaded not guilty, which made it difficult to find a a lawyer willing to represent him. And the trial date was postponed several times. The trial was held on June 19th, 1972. Due to safeguards that like protected defendants, the jury was not told of his previous convictions for poisoning. He retracted, of course, his earlier confession to the police, claiming he had only made it in order to get home. But there's still really good evidence against him. The prosecution called 75 witnesses to testify against him. And he was the only witness in his own defense. Yeah. Who do you have in your life? Literally no one. Winnie at this point is like, I can't help you, bro. You did it again. Like, you're fucking kidding. Yeah. (laughs) His diary was read aloud in court. Like, come on. What are we talking about? Like, you took detailed (laughs) notes about every poisoning. He said it was a fantasy for a novel. But like it, but happened, it happened with real, real names at your job with their name. Yeah, but Diana did get poisoned. She did leave work that day, right. and like that did happen. Examination of Fred Biggs's internal organs found thallium in his intestines, kidneys, muscles, bones, and brain tissue. Ah, oh. the cremated remains of Bob Eggel, which had not be- yet been scattered, were also analyzed and found to contain nine milligrams of thallium. This was the first instance of cremated ashes being used as evidence in a murder conviction. So he's like, thallium is like part of his ashes. That's how much there was. Yeah, come on. His defense lawyer um, would say later, quote, he was very proud of being the first person to use thallium in a poisoning case. For him, the whole thing was one big chemistry experiment. And I suppose the trial was an experiment in seeing if he could use his knowledge to argue his way out of it. A journalist said he was clearly a very intelligent fellow, but he also came across as incredibly creepy. You didn't want to make eye contact with him because he just had this unnerving aura about him. Yeah, I've killed. I'm different than you. On June 29th, after one hour and 38 minutes of deliberation, the jury found him guilty of two counts of murder, Bob Eggle and Fred Biggs, two counts of attempted murder, Jethro Batt and David Tilson, and two counts of administering poison with intent to injure Diana Smart and Ronald Hewitt. He was found not guilty of administering poison to Trevor Sparks and Peter Buck, and was acquitted on all four counts of administering poison with intent, blah, blah, blah. If you were on that jury, 
And then after That's you exactly fa- what happened. Yeah. Afterwards, you find out that he had been jailed pretty much for poisoning before. Yes. He requests that he be sent to a regular prison rather than return to Broadmoor. Um, he was sentenced to life imprisonment to be served at HM Prison Park Lane, but it was later changed to Ashworth Hospital. It would be um embarrassing to come back to Broadmoor. Like, I think maybe that was it. Uh, like, and like he made a lot of enemies. Like if those guys yeah. who he's trying to poison are still there, it's only been he's only been out for a year. I'm back, baby. You know what I did. (laughs) You know what I did. You know what I did. (laughs) During his stay at Ashworth, he was moved from cells due to him being able to make poison out of common household items. Yeah, he can make it out of anything. He can make it out of a leaf. Yeah. He was moved regularly and his cells were searched. If you were a normal criminal, petty theft, Mm -hmm. and you were in jail with him. Uh, Exactly. You're like, I'm going to die here. What the fuck is he up to? They say that, yes, like you were saying earlier, after the trial, they, the jury obviously found that he had been convicted of poisoning his whole family and they were... They were gutted. Yeah, because like we might have gone the other way. Yeah. Um, you should have told me that. For real. Hey. So while in prison, he befriends the Moore's murderer, Ian Brady, <gasps> oh. who both loved Nazi Germany. In Brady's book, The Gates of Janus, in which he discusses various serial killers, including which includes a chapter on Graham Young. He writes that Young was, quote, genuinely asexual, finding even discussion of sexual matters not only uninteresting, but also distinctly distasteful. Hmm. Power and death were his aphrodisiacs. Hmm. Elsewhere, Brady said that it was, quote, difficult not to empathize with Graham Young. For who? For you? You're <laughs> For the more <Ian> murderer. <laughs> he says he sometimes grew a Hitler mustache, trimming it with a razor until the skin around it was red raw and the prison staff had to tell him to stop. What the fuck? Gross. They would play chess together on a daily basis. Young would favor the black pieces, quote, likening their potency to the Nazi SS. Okay. Yeah, they bonded over Nazi Germany. Um, Blah, blah, blah. Bonding over what, babe? Like, yeah, we should have should have gone farther like it was like pretty bad and it was really bad <laughs> um blah, blah blah famous bisexual ian brady also um described him as having boyish good looks and they talked about their mutual idol dr joseph Mengele. graham young died in his cell on the evening of august 1st 1990 a month before his 43rd birthday the cause of death was listed as a myocardial myocardial infarction He had no history of heart disease, so it's been speculated that he either committed suicide or was murdered by prisoners or staff who did not feel safe around him. He's a menace. He had to be stopped. I hope they were like, look, finally, we're going to do it. Like, we cannot live in fear anymore. I cannot guard my teacup anymore. Right. Like, he's united the staff and the inmates to be like, we got to get rid of them. None of them's safe. Like, I want to come into work with my coffee mug and not be terrified all day. Right. I don't want to shit myself today. I don't want to have pins and needles in my balls. (laughs) 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 And they deserve that in their work environment. Right. That's it. Well, damn, Graham. Well, damn. Uh, Feel free to absorb that information. I'm not sure what you could learn from it. (laughs) Um... We know a lot of symptoms for poisoning. Yeah. Yeah. Feel free to share the information. Yeah. As the way you heard it, tell no one. Goodbye. Goodbye.